Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. My name is Brady Clark, and I'm a member here at Redeemer. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the time, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. Thank you, God. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Owens, not Brian, for those of you that are new. Um, we make that joke every week about Brian's and Ryan's. We got to stop. We got to stop. Yeah. Low hanging fruit. Yeah. No. Um, I am one of the pastors here. Brian is our other pastor. Uh, and we were, we were sad to, to miss Brian and Kirstie on Wednesday night, but I was so encouraged. We passed on our encouragements to them and sent some pictures. Um, man, thank you all for coming. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for uh, jumping into something that we've never done before in our very short infant uh, duration life so far at Redeemer. Um, thank you for coming. It was, it was a massive encouragement to hear all of you praying. Um, and if, if you have not registered for that, you can find that on our app or on our website. It's pretty easy uh, to do that. And so just register for that so we know uh, how many people to make a meal for. I will remind everyone, there will not be a meal this week or next week. We're only going to do meals on the first uh, Wednesday of the month. So just a reminder for that. Come uh, pre-fed. Um, I, I told my wife that I was going to make a cheesy, like pretend like I was preaching a cheesy Super Bowl sermon. Um, Brian stole my, uh, uh, my whole sermon, really, depending on the spirit. So um, I, instead, I can't deliver that. I don't, I'm not clever enough to figure out good jokes about it. I'm not good enough at delivery, so I'll spare you guys the, the humiliation, uh, the embarrassment, <laughs> vicarious embarrassment. So, um, but we'll just jump right in. We'll jump right into Colossians. If you haven't turned there, in your Bibles yet, um, go to Colossians 4. We are nearing the end of our Colossians series. These are Paul's final instructions to the church in Colossae. Um, next week, Becky, you better practice those names because next week, man, um, it, it, just his final greetings, uh, th- those are just, hey, say hello to this guy. Um, be sure that you tell this guy this message This paragraph right here is Paul's final instructions. What's the last thing Paul wants ringing in the heads of the Colossian church based on everything that he has preached to them so far in this letter? This all culminates in these final instructions. And he tells them, just live an ordinary life. Live the abiding life, the way of Jesus. Pray, celebrate, and go. Do you ever feel like your life is not quite as impressive as it should be? You feel that way? Have you ever felt like um, you should be doing better 
at your job. You should be doing better as a parent. You should on and on and on and on and on. You should be a better Christian. You should be a better prayer. You should be in the word more. Do you ever feel that way? We compare ourselves to the people on our phones. We compare ourselves to the people at work, even the people in our families. And it shames us. We feel like ordinary is not good enough. But let me remind you, it is ordinary people that Jesus chose to use when he was here on earth. It's ordinary people that Jesus chooses to use today. We may think that people are pretty extraordinary and impressive. Reality will tell us. Our inner reality tells us we are not very impressive. We're slow moving, we're unimpressive, and we're ordinary, mostly obscure. And guess what? In that reality, you are exactly who the Holy Spirit made you to be. You can be comfortable being ordinary. Okay? So, um, way back in the spring of 2020, two years ago now, it's funny how a pandemic will make two years feel like 10 years and 10 weeks at the same time. Way back in the spring of 2020, the Lord had just given uh, my wife Kendall and I the, the call to San Angelo. And we had invited Kelsey to join us. We had invited Brian and Kirsty to join us. And we're getting excited. Um, we know that we're only a few months away from moving back to San Angelo. We were in Nabilene at the time. And we were, we were wrestling through what's, what's this guiding vision for us? And I spent a good part of my training developing that vision. Um, and really, it, it was just me putting stuff on paper. It took the Holy Spirit giving us a vision for it to be something that sticks, to be something um, that honestly, as we started to pick it apart, we were like, well, this is, I could, I'm not smart enough to come up with this. And so our, our vision uh, for Redeemer is to live, learn and live the gospel, learn and live the good news in San Angelo. But we have this way of living. We have this way of going about our vision that we're calling cultural pillars. And our three cultural pillars at Redeemer are pray, celebrate, and go. We didn't just make those up. If I would have made something up, it would have been a lot more words. Just ask my wife and kids. Pray, celebrate, and go. We pulled this straight out of Scripture. The Spirit showed it to us pretty clearly. Um, our time at the well was helpful for this too. They, they had been moving through a season of, of growing in these three areas, and we just latched onto that and, and took it even further and planted a church with it. We call these cultural pillars. Pray, celebrate, go is not a formula. It's not the map, how you get to Jesus on the top of the mountain. Pray, celebrate, go is, is this, this practice, this way of living, this way of Jesus that Brian talked about in John 15. What is the abiding life? In, in Matthew and in Mark, when Jesus says, follow me, learn from me, that's what he means. He means pay attention to who I am and how I live and live that way. Jesus, the epitome of human flourishing, showed us to live lives that pray, lives that celebrate, and lives that go. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more through our text today. But I wanted to give you one sentence to latch on. 
because we pray as we depend on God. We celebrate when we remember who he is and we go because we need to share the gospel. It's, it's a compulsion in us. It's not a duty we perform. It's an overflow of the abiding life. So this one sentence, Courtney, will you put that up there? We pray, celebrate, and go. Can we see it? Uh-oh. It might have frozen. There we go. We pray, celebrate, and go to depend on the Spirit of God to do extraordinary things through ordinary people like you and me. We pray, celebrate, and go to depend on the Spirit of God to do ordinary, extraordinary things through ordinary people like you and me. We don't have to be extraordinary. We don't have to be impressive. We don't have to be fast-moving. We can let our Instagram feed display our true reality, the messiness of life. Because it's the Spirit that gets the glory. The Spirit of God does extraordinary things in ordinary people. And so in order for us to orient our whole lives around living this way, God gave us these cultural pillars of pray, celebrate, and go. And so you'll see uh, those logos that you just saw up there. You'll see those um, floating around the church um, Kelsey worked really hard on that, and then Kaylin Gandy did an incredible job putting those images together. Um, and so what we, what we have to share with you, those images, those are going to be like the life of our church, just a remembrance. Like you see, you see can we show those three uh, logos again? Yeah, you see the hands, prayer, and, and the vine, abiding life. We've got celebrate, it's the festivals, remembrances, communion, Remembering the goodness of God and then going is the wheat being dispersed, the seed being dispersed throughout the world. So Paul's final words, he says, live the abiding life, depend on the spirit, pray, celebrate, and go. Um, We'll start in verse two in Colossians four. We're gonna start with the the cultural pillar of pray at one because I need to be organized and it's first on the, the screen, but also we get pray first here in verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Anytime you see Paul make a command to pray, regardless of what qualifies it, it just means ask. Pray equals ask a lot of times. So we can assume, we can, we can make that um, implication here. Continue steadfastly in prayer, asking, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Other translations will say, um, continue steadfastly in prayer, continue praying, being watchful and thankful. So watchful and thankful describe how we pray, right? How's that for English? I'm a science guy. Brian's the English guy. Continue in prayer, being watchful and thankful. So we have uh, already, uh, you saw pray, celebrate, go. We got three parts to that. We get three parts to prayer. We like threes here. Ask, listen, worship. The structure that Paul is giving us is threefold. Ask, listen, worship. And I'm going to use the same text that Brian used in his call to worship. Matthew 7. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you then, who are evil, can give good gifts, then then What about your father who's not evil, who's not selfish, who's not manipulative, 
who's not harsh and demanding? How much do you think he wants to give good things to those who ask him? Ask, listen, worship. So we listen for him to respond. We ask and then we listen. We wait. We are not passive participants in the spirit, okay? God chose to give people his spirit to use people, not to diminish them. It is true that our sinful nature, we are depraved. We are selfish. We are self-seeking. We are idolatrous. But when you put your faith in Christ, your spiritual reality, the, the most true thing about you is that you are in Christ. That's why you keep hearing us repeat, chosen, holy, loved, because that's who Christ has made you to be. The Spirit chooses to use you when you put your faith in Christ. And so we listen to him, just like you would follow and listen to anybody else. You follow Jesus, you listen to him through his Spirit. You follow someone that you want to imitate, your boss. You're learning from them. Maybe someday he'll retire and you'll take their spot. You watch them, listen to the words they say, pay attention. And that's how we pray. We ask and then we wait and we pay attention. And I know that being still and being quiet and being patient in prayer is that those are the top, three of the top five hardest things that I do in my life. The other two are saying no to dessert and rooting for the Cowboys. But being still and quiet and patient is how we listen to the Spirit. We respond to his prompting. We listen to him through his word. These are the words of God given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are not passive participants. Ask, listen, and worship. There's a story in Luke 17 that um, Jesus heals 10 lepers, very sick, very unclean people. And he heals all 10 of them, but one returns. This is what Jesus says to the one that returns to say thank you. We're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Worship is an outpouring of the internal reality, this internal transformation that we experience. We celebrate because we remember what God has done. We worship, we ask, we listen, and we worship because we depend on the Spirit in prayer. Now, I know that a lot of times we have reasons to not pray. We're too busy. Um, I, I can't figure out a good rhythm to my prayer. Uh, I'm feeling undisciplined. And those are all legitimate reasons. But we also feel a lot of guilt and shame that keeps us from praying, that keeps us from feeling like we do have a good father that's not upset with us, that keeps us from feeling like we're good enough to come to him. We have a lot of guilt and shame that even maybe we feel like we're not good enough prayers. And so we're afraid because we don't want to say the wrong thing. Let me tell you, the Bible says there's no such thing as a good enough prayer. The disciples who had been walking with Jesus for a long time asked him, okay, teach us how to pray, please. But then we also see 
in Scripture that Jesus is praying for us. The Son of God is speaking to God the Father on our behalf. Not only that, but the Spirit in you prays while you pray. The Spirit in you fixes your prayers. J.I. Packer famously says that the Spirit fixes your prayers on the way up. That is a comfort. Because I don't have the words. My prayers end up being selfish and narrow-minded. Sometimes I can squeak in something pretty clever. Sometimes I can remember, oh yeah, I need to ask, listen, and worship. It's the Spirit that steps in to help me pray. Maybe we feel like God won't hear us. Maybe, maybe we've prayed for things and we've not gotten the response we want or, or we didn't listen and so we feel like we didn't get a response or maybe just we flat out are like, God has not answered me. Maybe that's why we don't pray. Let me remind you of Matthew 7. You have a good father who loves to give his children good things. But I must also remind you that when we make our prayers to where we, some of y'all were here Wednesday and you remember the, the Valley of Vision prayer. Page, 100, page 266 if you have the Valley of Vision. He says, if I pray to conform your will to mine, I'm controlling Christ. And that is my pride and my sin. And so we've got to stop and we've got to ask ourselves, why do we pray? Why do we not pray? It's intimidating. It is. And that's okay. The Spirit prays with you and Jesus prays for you. Find comfort in that. And if you feel like you're too messed up, if you feel like you've got too much guilt, let me also remind you of who you are in Christ. You are seated at the right hand of God with him. You are hidden in him. He has made you chosen, holy, and loved so that you could go to the Father when you feel most dirty, when you feel most messed up. That is what Jesus has done for you so that you can go to the Father. To neglect that is to neglect the good gift that he's given. So we pray, we celebrate. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the cultural pillar of celebrate now. We celebrate to remember. So in the Old Testament, God instituted festivals. He instituted festivals because um, we forget things. I don't know if that's how we were designed. Scripture's not entirely clear if uh, forgetfulness is a part of the fall. To the degree that I forget things, it has to be. But we celebrate to remember because we're constantly forgetting. Those things that I just reminded you were things that I forgot a number of times this week. In Exodus 12, God institutes the first formal official festival, the Passover. 
and you don't have to know the story. I'm going to quote this line, and it's going to tell you the story. But this is the explanation for why we celebrate. Exodus 12, starting in 26. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What do you mean by this celebration? What do you mean by this offering that we make, by killing this lamb? What do you mean by this celebration, this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. We celebrate to remember the goodness of God. Now, um, what do we have to celebrate? I think for most of my Christian life, if the watching world were to look at me and ask if I have a reason to celebrate my life in Christ, they would say no, probably not. My, joy, my life has not been marked by much joy. I'm growing. I'm in process. But I forget, and we have this, this cultural pillar of celebrate to help us remember the goodness of God so that our lives would be marked by joy. So let me remind you. Let me remind you of two things. The book of Colossians, the primary goal of Colossians is to show us that only Jesus is Savior, only Jesus is worthy of our worship, only Jesus has made you chosen, holy, and loved. Nothing else. Nothing else deserves our time and attention like Jesus does. So let's look at who is Jesus. The book of Colossians, and this is, this is a distillation. I've condensed this down because we don't have the time uh, in our Sunday to cover all that the, the book of Colossians says about Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of God, creator and sustainer of all. Jesus is supreme in all things. He is the savior of the world. Jesus is God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved son who pulled us out of the darkness, the domain of darkness, and transferred us into his kingdom. That's a snapshot at who Jesus is, preeminent, supreme, worthy of his name. So who are we? In order to stand, understand who we are, we've got to understand who we were. And there's some of us in this room that this might fit our description still because we've not yet put our faith in Christ. This is who we were, in darkness, hostile, enemies with God, separated from him, dead to God, helpless, immoral, impure, idolatrous, earthly, impulsive, following our own desires, wicked, according to Matthew 7, evil. That's who we were. But in Christ, we are, because of Jesus, we are saints. Christian, you are a saint. That title has been given to you. You did not earn it. We are saints, reconciled to God and to one another, brothers and sisters, delivered from darkness, redeemed, we are dead to sin. At one time, we were dead to God. Now we are dead to sin. We were dead in our sin. Now we are dead to sin. Amen? Y'all gotta get excited about this. This is who we are now. 
I'm not saying who God is making you to be. I'm not saying this impressive life that you'll live someday. I'm not even saying this is who you will be once you get to heaven. This is your reality today, now. We are dead to sin. I want to hear amen after every one of these. I'm going to start over. We are saints. We are reconciled to God. We are reconciled to one another. We are delivered from darkness. We are redeemed. We are dead to sin. We are raised to new life. We are renewed in the image of Jesus. We are hidden with Christ. I'm not done. Because of Jesus, we are God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved today, now. Amen. This is the gospel. We did nothing to earn this. This reality, for those of us who put our faith and our hope and our trust in Christ, and if that doesn't do it for you, man, I don't know what will. It cannot be more clear who we were and who we are is because of Jesus. We celebrate to remember the extraordinary goodness of God in our ordinary lives. When you juxtapose that that spiritual reality of who you are to the ordinary life you live, it feels like it doesn't make sense. It feels like those, those things don't compute together. I should be way more awesome if, if that's really me, right? But we're, we're just ordinary people. Someday we'll be way, way more awesome when we're perfected. But we live in this overlap of, of sin still affecting us, still working its way in to our reality. But the, the most true thing about us is that we are in Christ. And in Christ, we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. That's it. Blameless, above reproach. This last cultural pillar of go. We try to, we try to make this a thing. We give labels to people that go. Um, we rightly send money to specific people who go and we forget that we also go. We forget, and so we need help remembering that our new reality is available to anybody, my neighbors, my family. Who are the, who are the, the missionaries that we're paying to go to them? Our going, like our prayer and our celebrating, is just the fruit of abiding in Jesus. It's depending and remaining in him. Pray, celebrate, go is the fruit of the believer. So we go with the gospel. And let me simplify this. I've got a sentence here. I've got to try to find it now. Move things around. There's, there's two, when Jesus at the end of his, uh, the gospel accounts, at the end of his time from the resurrection, right before he leaves, to go into heaven, it's at the end of Matthew, it's at the end of the other Gospels, it's at the very beginning of Acts. And he says, go make disciples. There's two meanings to that go. There's a passive go. There's a as you go. But then the word go itself 
is active. It can, it can be both, right? It can be as you go and very intentionally go. We have a responsibility, a command from Christ that as we go, we go with the gospel. This isn't a compartment of our lives. This isn't a card we pull out when it's convenient for us. If the gospel has transformed you, you can't go without it. Let's read verses three through six. We're finally getting to the second part of this text. Celebrate is a, a, a combination of verse two and five and six. And then going actually is the bulk of this passage. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, the word, the gospel, the word of God, this declaration of the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So he, Paul's, Paul's moving from pray for us that a door would be open to us. It, the door's already open for them. That's why he doesn't say pray that a door would be open to you. The door is open. The Colossians are free. They are not in prison. They are free. And so Paul says, pray that a door would be open to us, but you've already got your doors open. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The connotation here that he's using is like, um, how many shoppers do we have? Got some shoppers in here? Nobody. Okay. Um, like four people? I No, come on. Can you? Thank you, Stuart. That was emphatic. How many of you cannot resist a good bargain? Okay. All right. Thank you. That's better. The connotation that Paul is, is giving us here is walk in wisdom, make the best use of the time, let your speech be ready, ready to answer, like a good bargain you just can't pass by. The door is always open for you to walk in wisdom, to follow Jesus with your life, to, to preach the gospel with your words. That's a declaration. That's, an, that's a command from Christ, but also with the way that you live. I'll use um, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Paul uh, planted this church in, in Corinth, and when he preached the gospel to them, he did it in such a way that you could, not, you, you could not guess that it was anything but the Spirit of God moving. And he says this in verse 4 of chapter 2. In my speech, in my message, were not implausible words of wisdom. He's speaking um, to the culture. He's not just trying to be eloquent and convince people. He's not making merely a logical argument. But in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I don't want my faith to rest in the wisdom of men. That's feeble and frail. I can't depend my whole life on the wisdom of men. It has to depend on the power of God. Well, how do we do that? Paul says here in, verse, um, in Colossians 4, just like he's saying in 1 Corinthians 2, the message is best preached by words and action, that what your words say have to be backed up by the way that you live or it's, it, they cancel each other out. It's null. If the way that you live does, match, does not match the gospel you preach, 
Let's go back to last week. Are our hearts sincere? Is the reality of the gospel so deep into your heart, so transforming who you are, that you can't help but preach the gospel and celebrate the goodness of God in your life? Now, I find this very intimidating. And I'm the guy up here preaching the gospel to you. I find this intimidating to do this at home, to do this with my kids, to do this with my neighbors, to do this with my unbelieving family members. That is intimidating. There's this inner life of worship and this outer life of worship. And I think we try to complicate the outer life because we want to be really polished. We want to portray a reality of ourselves. We want people to be impressed with us. When we depend on the Spirit to do the impressive things, we're just waiting for Him to move. And so as I am around my neighbors, as I am around my unbelieving family members, as I... I would say coworkers, but I work with Brian and Kelsey and Gidget, and I'm not going to throw them under the bus. <laughs> they believe the gospel. As I, as you are around your coworkers, it's not complicated. You just be you. Be chosen, holy, and loved. That's who you are. Pray at work. There's a Brother Lawrence quote. He says, and Brother Lawrence is this medieval monk, And he says things in medieval language, so I'm just going to paraphrase. He says, um, in the busyness of the kitchen, when people are calling for different things, um, when I'm out on the streets and, and I hear all the people doing business around me, I am no less in tranquility with God than I am on my knees. We can pray when we're at work. We can pray when we're at home alone. We can pray while we're changing diapers. We can pray while we're cleaning toilets. We can celebrate while we do all those things. We can remember the goodness of God. And while we do that, we go. The gospel is with us, transforming us. But it's intimidating. Because for me, when I was thinking about this, why I found it intimidating for me was because I'm so concerned with even just being a good enough Christian, being a good enough prayer, just getting that part figured out. How do I follow Jesus? I'm doing a really bad job today. I can't go to my neighbors because I'm not there yet. I'm not a mature enough Christian yet. That's a lie. We'll never make it until Jesus comes back. We're always going to be going through these cycles of up and down. We're going to have good weeks and bad weeks. We're never dismissed from the command to go. But let me tell you something. When you go and you, re- you realize how you depend on the Spirit to be the words for you, you're praying. And then all of a sudden you start worshiping while you're talking to your neighbor. It's, just, it's not complicated. So we can, we can let the Spirit work through us as we depend on Him. I heard, it, I, I don't hear the audible voice of God, but there, there's this feeling in me that I'm like, okay, that's not me. That's the Spirit. And he told me, you don't have to try so hard. I put so much pressure on myself. You don't have to try so hard. Just abide. Just remain. There's a reason Jesus used that simple word. 
you already are chosen, holy, and loved. This, uh, the stuff that we keep saying to one another, that we keep hearing from other people on, on TV, on our phones, um, be the best version of yourself. Man, that's bondage. I can't. I can't be the best version. I'm already being the best version of myself, and it's not, I wouldn't label that as best, okay? Jesus has already made you the best version of yourself. The pressure's off. Okay, so there's three things. Elliot Grudem, some of you may know the name um, Wayne Grudem, not John Gruden. We're not to the Super Bowl yet. Wayne Grudem, he's a systematic theologian. He wrote this massive book that I have such trouble reading. Um, He made smaller ones. But his son, Elliot, wrote a book with him. Um, And Elliot Grudem, uh, apparently, do y'all remember Kendrick? He came and preached. Uh, They they hang out. They talk. He does some training for uh, this group that Kendrick's a part of. Elliot Grudem gave him these three, um, how, how do we abide, like, how can I be comfortable abiding and feel like I, I can do this? He said there's three, three things, depending on the spirit in three ways. Content with dependence. Comfort with obscurity. Encourage to be ordinary. Content with dependence. Comfort with obscurity. Encourage to be ordinary. Content with dependence. We pray because we're dependent on the spirit. If we're not content with dependence, we're not going to pray. If we're not comfortable with being obscure, we're going to want to make our lives about ourselves and glorify ourselves. We will not celebrate and remember the goodness of God. And if we don't have the courage to be ordinary, we will never go. We will never be impressive enough to want to attract someone to Christ on our own doing. We have to depend on the Spirit and be comfortable, be content, and have the courage just to be yourself. We pray, celebrate, and go to depend on the Spirit of God to do extraordinary things through ordinary people like you and me. We get to practice this morning. We get to celebrate. We get to remember the goodness of Jesus with communion. We've got tables in the back. We've got the table here to my left. For those of us who trust and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we do this every week. We spend time every week. This remembrance is is reserved for the believer because it is an observance and a remembrance of something that has happened in us. We remember every week that on the night that he was arrested, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body that was broken for you. Take it and eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. So we celebrate that this week. We celebrate that this morning again. If you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus, man, that's, that's all I've got for you is the gospel, what you just heard. Now you know. 
Now you get to respond. Turn from sin and believe in the good news. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate to remember the extraordinary goodness of God.